0: Well, that psalm that we just sang was probably not a psalm that will be sung often in the church. It's Psalm 88, and very depressing psalm. It's a psalm that really doesn't have any hope in it when you, when you read through it. It's one of those psalms of just pure lament, but appropriate for the text that we look at today because you have, of course, Naomi saying, please don't call me Naomi Pleasant. Call me Bitter. Call me Mara." for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I think that Naomi could sing uh, Psalm 88. At least she would have, if she would have, if you would have had Naomi choose the liturgy, (laughs) Naomi would have chosen uh, Psalm 88. So fitting for that. And good for us to hear psalms like that um, because we can relate to them uh, through our lives, through times of grief, times when it seems as if the Lord's hand is, turned against us. We can identify with Naomi, uh, perhaps, uh, in her life. Well, back to the book of Ruth we go, and picking up in verse 6 and carrying on the story, you will remember where things left last week. You talk about something that has no uh, uh, sort of good news in it. It was last week's text, um, and this week's text starts to get little beams of sunlight breaking into them. There's a couple things, uh, points of encouragement here uh, in this text. But last week, last week was uh, another sort of Psalm 88 text. Uh, Nothing but bleakness starts with famine in the land, moves on to a terrible decision by, we'll assume the head of the house, Elimelech, but um, perhaps in league with Naomi, makes a terrible decision to turn and leave the land, the, the house of bread, right? They leave, They leave the empty bread basket, they they leave Bethlehem, which means house of bread, uh, to go to a foreign land. But we commented last week, and it's very important for us to understand the context of this passage, that this is happening in that period of time when the land of Israel is in fact Holy Land. This is the time when God has set up that land, and it's a unique time within the history of the world. Uh, between Joshua and finally exile, when, when, when the, we have Ichabod, the, the glory of God departs from the temple, and then, frankly, that land becomes just another land. And that's why the Babylonians are allowed to come in and overrun it and take the people out and the Assyrians, because it's Ichabod, the glory of God had departed. But from Joshua to the time of exile, that's not just another land. And we're not saying that's just because, well, we think it's special because that's where the people believe what we believe. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. The Bible teaches that from the time of Joshua, when the Lord entered the land and the ark enters the land, to the time when the glory departs, that objectively, that is a unique land. That is a little taste of heaven. That is a temple. That's a holy of holies land. It's a unique land. And there's a unique... Uh, 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 relation to God in that land and there's a unique calculus of how things work in that land that is not true in other lands and is not true in other times in this unique way. This is the Holy Land. And as such, those laws of Deuteronomy apply. You obey, you will be blessed. You disobey, you will suffer judgment. In a very poignant way, which is not, though, though it's analogous to where we are today, it's not exact. It's not as if Oh, somebody suffers, and we go, oh, I wonder what they did, right? You can fall into that. We saw that in the book of Job. Job suffers, his counselors say, oh, I wonder what Job did. No, that's wrong, wrong calculus, that you're using the wrong mechanism to understand the providence of God, but not necessarily so within this land and for this people at this time. And so we're in that land. That's what the author has told us. And it's the time of the judges, a time of unfaithfulness. A time of cyclical disobedience and then repentance and then restoration and then complacency and then rebellion and then judgment and then repentance and then restoration and then complacency. And, and the, the, that cycle of the judges is what we are in. And so when we're in this land at this time and we hear about a famine— it's not just, oh, that really stinks. You know what, what, That's an unfortunate situation. No, no, no. It's not an unfortunate situation. This is a hand of God's judgment because we're in this land at this time with these people and that God. So we hear about the famine. And then as we've said, so what do you do if you are in this land with these people at this time with that God and you hear there's a famine in the land? The answer is not run to another God's land. That's not how you solve this problem. You don't start looking for other economic options. If you were in this land with this God as these people, at this time, the answer to the famine is simple. Not easy, but simple. Repent. Repent. Call out to the Lord. But that is not what Elimelech and Naomi do. They see it as an economic problem, which again, we can understand. There's something in us, I think, that can sympathize because we think, gee whiz, if it was me, that's probably what I'd be doing. I'd be looking out for my family. Like, what do I get? I don't see options here. We're in trouble. Okay, there's bread in Moab. I got to go there. But we see that the decision is not a good one. Leave the land. So they leave the land. They go down to a land of another god hoping that there they will find provision. A dangerous thing to turn to the lands of other gods to solve our problems. We have to look analogously for that in our life. What does that look like for us? It's not about a land anymore. It's not about geography, but it is about life. It is about life. Where do we we look? We, We just looked at that in the book of Galatians, right? What were the Galatians doing? Again, analogously, spiritually, now. but what were they doing? You know, they're, they're concerned about their relationship with God, so they, they, they return to some Judaistic way of doing it. Oh, we'll do it by way of obedience to the law. That's a dangerous thing to do. Don't do that. Look to the way the Lord has provided. <clears throat> so they go down there, and then, of course, we know just Psalm 88, tragedy, right? Elimelech dies, and now she's left here with her two sons, which, okay, there's still something there. You've got sons. That's a good thing. But you're still away from the house of bread. You're still away from the land. You're down in a foreign land with other culture and other gods. And you're outside the covenantal land. But you still have sons. So you get the sons married to Moabite women, which is a bad idea. Because now the the Moabites are under the judgment of God. The the word of the Lord says that the Moabites may not enter the sanctuary of the Lord. For ten generations, the Lord has judged the Moabites. And so to marry off your sons to Moabite women puts now your family really in a place of exile from the the covenant house of God. So not a good place to be, bad decision. And then, of course, we know that spirals worse because now the boys die. And now we've got ourselves in a real pickle because here you are, Naomi, in a foreign land with two (laughs) daughters-in-law that are in your house. No way to provide. And what do we do now? Now, in our text this morning, as we turn to verse 6, we hear, again, a little ray of good news. Now, it comes at a distance. This is like reflected good news. It kind of is bouncing off things and getting all the way out to Moab. But then uh, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard... In the country of Moab, they're making that, they're driving that point home. All right, the author's driving the point home of where Ruth is, at, or excuse me, where uh, Naomi is at this point. <laughs> Just in case you forgot, in the land of Moab, they heard this that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So word gets somehow from the land out to Moab that the famine is broken and God is providing bread to them. Which again, in that land with those people at that time, tells us that we can assume at least that there is some kind of national repentance going on. That the people have turned. That they are seeking the face of God. That, that, that the, 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 the background music of the story is changing a little bit. At least out there, she's just she's hearing it out here in Moab. But some some good things must be happening in that land, and so she's happy to hear that. So the first thing we have here in the story is a repentance of sorts. And I say of sorts because it's a repentance, I I guess, like a lot of our repentances. It's muddled. It's not clear exactly what's going on. If we could just pause here and say, what is the right thing for Naomi to do right now? The answer would be the right thing for Naomi to do is go home. Go back to the land of her God to be with her covenant people. thats I don't care whether there's a famine or not. That's the right thing for her to do. Go home. And lo and behold, that's what she does. That's good news. That's a repentance of sorts, right? Repentance. Here I'm speaking of repentance in a literal thing. It means turning. She turns. She's about to turn away from Moab and turn back to Israel. She's about to turn from the gods of Moab. Now, there's no evidence she's worshiping the gods of Moab, but, but this is the land of the gods of Moab. And in this day, land and gods and culture were intertwined. Like, you go to that land. You're going to the land that's overseen by that god. And so she's turning, literally. If there was any reliance upon the gods of Moab, Chemosh, to provide for them, here she is turning from Moab and beginning now to look the, to the place she should look, namely to Israel and to Israel's God. Now I say a repentance of sorts because of what motivates it. Is, it. is this because Naomi is coming to her senses and she's thinking, you know what? I really, I my heart has been called to God. I need to get right with God. You know, oh, the famine's over? Well, that's convenient. You know, that's really great that I'll be going back in the famine. No, it's, it's the fact that she hears the famine's over. And she's led here by her belly a little bit. She's led again, like Elimelech did coming down there, sort of by, by economics, right? And she hears, oh, there's a better economic situation up there. I can go back. Uh, so it's a muddled repentance. I'm going to guess like a lot of our repentance. Uh, it's not always pure you you don't always repent because you just know, hey, I'm broken, I need to return to the Lord. Oftentimes it is muddled with other, you know, other motives driving us. But she turns nonetheless with her daughters-in-law to return home. And I chose in our New Testament reading today the prodigal son because you can see the same kind of thing, right? He the the son the son makes a terrible decision. Terrible decision to leave his father's house. He leaves the house and goes off to a foreign city. Now, it's not exactly, there's not a famine, He's not pushed out that way. He just makes a stupid decision. Oh, you foolish Galatians, right? Oh, you foolish, stupid son. What are you thinking? Taking your father's money and severing the relationship with the father, right? You take, you take the beautiful flower and, and cut it from its roots so that you can have it and you run away with it. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You, you're going to have a beautiful flower for the rest of your life? No, it withers and dies. And so it is for the prodigal son. He, he severs the flower from the stem. He, 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 he severs the gifts from the gift giver. He, he takes the stuff and leaves the dad and goes off to have it on his own. Terrible decision. Finds himself in a mess, just like Naomi found herself in a disastrous mess. And like Naomi, he has a repentance of sorts. And it's led by his belly because he thinks, golly, I'm eating pig slop. you know, And I'm happy to do it. That's how bad it is. It's like, yay, they're feeding the pigs again. I can get some dinner. That's how bad it had gotten. And there in that state, he looks back and thinks, hmm, Maybe leaving the father's house was a bad idea. Maybe leaving the house of bread was a bad idea. Maybe cutting the flower from the stem was a bad idea. I think I'll go home. It's the right decision. And Naomi, this little brightness happens here in this story as she decides to go home. So the first thing we have in this story is a repentance of source. Then second thing as we track through this, and again, for those listening online or wherever, We've already read the text um, for our Old Testament reading this morning, and hence I'm not reading through it. But Naomi now turns to go, and then we have this very odd, again, terrible little interaction between her and her daughters-in-law. Now, again, like so often, we can find ourselves saying, well, I kind of get why she'd say it. I get why Elimelech would go to Moab. Like, we can identify with him, right? I get why she would have her sons marry these women. It's like, what are you going to do? This is where we live for 10 years. You know, we're going to have to have children. Um, I get why she would say this to her daughters-in-law, go home. They start traveling and then at some point she stops and says to the girls, to Orpa and Ruth, hey, listen, go home. And we can get it because I have no prospects. I'm going back to my home. So at least I have something. There's going to be some connections that perhaps I can draw on. But frankly, I have nothing. That's why we left to begin with. And if you come back with me, not only do I have nothing, now I have less than nothing because now I have nothing with which I have to provide for the two of you. Not only that, I feel the burden of this for you girls, that there's nothing for you there. I have no more sons. There is no one who can redeem us. Because the way it worked, you know, you remember in the Bible, the way it worked is, look, when your husband dies, somebody else in the family marries you. Because different from today, back then, we've got to maintain the land. We've got to maintain the covenantal land. And we maintain a line of seed, right? A genealogy, because we're moving toward a promise. And so we must maintain this land, and we must maintain our genealogy. And therefore, it's not, well, just whoever you love. No, no, no. You must marry somebody within this family to maintain this. So we need somebody who will come now and fix this mess. The problem is, so you know what happens. You remember that story with Jesus when they come and ask him, well, listen, if, if, uh, if, uh, if, uh, if, a, if a man dies and leaves his wife and then the other brother marries her and then he dies and then another brother marries her, when he gets to heaven, whose wife is she? Remember that whole conversation? That's this. Except there are no other brothers. And so now the women are just left. And the line is over. And she's telling her, so this is it's not just it's going to be bad. It's going to be worse than that. I have no one to redeem us. Now, hey, spoiler alert, there is somebody to redeem you. And you've totally forgotten about this, Naomi. You're so, you're so spiraled down in your grief and your self-pity that you have forgotten that you do have family. Okay, there is family there. But she's, this, this just gets to the point of how down in the muck she is. Go home. Not only that, your Moabite women, they're not. Whatever redemption there could be, even if there were a Redeemer, they would not marry Moabite women. They would not make the same stupid mistake that your boys made. I think all this is going on in there. And so she basically counsels them to go home. And it's kind of disturbing if we, we get it on an, again, we get it on an economic level. We get it on just a cultural level. That's what makes this book a little challenging. But what this book forces us to do is, but is that the level we should be operating on? It's sort of our default. We go to, we make these decisions based on our own wisdom. We base these things out of economic decision. I don't know. What else can I do? I don't know. Obey God. Bring people, bring people to the house. Like, you've got these two women here who serve other gods. Their families worship the god Chemosh who demands child sacrifice, okay? And they've now been married into your family. And you have them. And they want to go with you back to the Holy Land and worship your God and be part of your family. And I know it makes no economic sense, but they want to go. And Naomi says, No, don't come. Go back. No, she's doing it out of love. You sense that. These these women are weeping as they contemplate this. Naomi's weeping. I I think she loves these two girls. And she's she's trying to think about their economic interest and hers. Go home. Verse 8, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. She's asking, she is trying to pronounce a blessing on them. May the Lord be kind to you. The, the word kindness there, and the only reason I mention it is because it's a very important Hebrew word in the Bible. And that is the word hesed. It means covenantal loyalty, covenantal love, deep agape love. It's the love God has for his people. And here she's saying, may God have that for you as you go back to the gods of Moab. Like, may God deal kindly with you as you go away from him. I'm sending you away from him, hoping that God will deal kindly with you. It's like, Naomi, you need to rattle her here. Say, Naomi, what are you doing? What do you mean, may, may the, if the, yes, may the Lord deal kindly with us. Let's go. Let's go to him. Let's go to where his people are. Let's go to the place of blessing. Let's go to the house of bread. But well, she doesn't do it. She gives terrible advice and sends them away. May the Lord deal. May he give you rest in the land of Moab. May you find a husband there, some pagan guy. Who, who will who will lead your family in the worship of Chemosh. Probably provide a lot of bread for you. Maybe give you children so you have economic security. But it'll lead you straight to hell. But hey, I know what you need right now. You need this. Think about how often, even for Christians, economic decisions dominate. This is one thing I do appreciate about my dad. Again, for those listening, my father passed away this week. One thing about my dad... Economic decisions never, ever played a role. I remember fighting with him. Please don't sell our land. <laughs> okay, we had we a had 150-acre farm. Now, he gave, he gave it over to the school for the most part. But at one point, especially back in the, in the early 90s, the school was in economic trouble. You know, Christian ministries are always teetering, you know, and the school was teetering. So my dad sold a third of the property. Oh, it was so tight, It's my home. It was like our land. I, I still, to this day, I drive home and see houses up on that hill, and I just, I grieve it. My dad did not. My dad was like, nope. The school needs to stay afloat. We sell the land. We sell the land. We keep the ministry going. That's just how my dad operated. I think about this. Like, he did not, economic decisions did, just did not move him. What moved him was kingdom vision, period. Now, sometimes we suffered around him. <laughs> okay. But my dad was driven by kingdom vision, period. It's a good reminder to us because here we see in Naomi, Naomi's governed by something else. She has an opportunity to lead these two Moabite women into the covenant community to bless them with chesed. And for these other reasons, she pushes them out. Just think about this in your life. So we see repentance, but then we just see awful, awful wisdom and logic from Naomi. Human logic, yes. Godly logic, no. And so she sends them back, and Orpa goes. Orpah, apparently the sensible one, who says, hmm, you know, you're right. <laughs> like, I'll go home and seek some security at home. Ruth, however, we really are introduced to here, utterly irrational, like my dad, I guess, not taking economic considerations uh, to heart. She does the opposite. Orpah goes, Ruth clings, we're told. Ruth grabs onto Naomi and will not let her go. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. And then utters these words of hesed. Naomi wishes hesed upon Orpah and Ruth. Ruth turns around and gives hesed to Naomi. I'm not leaving. Now, now, even after this, still in the midst of this, Naomi is trying to get Ruth to go. And Ruth just won't do it. I'll read it again because it's so beautiful. Think about this love. Think about this has said, this loyalty, this commitment. It's 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 I say irrational because where does this come from? Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you for wherever you go i will go wherever you lodge i will lodge your people shall be my people and your god my god if you can you can hear in that you can hear that deuteronomy language in there right i will be your god and you will be my people and she takes that up and says i want in i want in on that perhaps by spending time with naomi Maybe there was these flickers of faith in naomi that have taught ruth but she wants it your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Wow. That's Hesed. That is covenantal agape love. I'm going nowhere. And all we're told is Ruth stopped, or Naomi stopped talking to her. She said, All right, let's go. <clears throat> and off they went to the land. And now we have a new character in our story. She was there just as a name, now she's there as part of the they. They travel now. It's not she, it's not she <clears throat> and some Moabite woman with her. Now the main character of our story has doubled. And it's they travel together. And they make their way to the house of bread. They come to Bethlehem. And when they get there, <clears throat> Naomi is recognized People can't believe it. It's been some time They're, They're kind of surprised. Could this be Naomi? They say. And here again, and I don't want to be too hard on Naomi because like I said last week, you don't want to be too hard on characters in the Bible because you're just like them. So we got to be careful how, how tough we are on her because that, the, the manner by which you judge, you also will be judged. And we could be really hard on Naomi, but that hand comes around and slaps us in the back of the head as well. And, and reminds us we can be, so I don't want to be too hard on her, but her her bad theology and self-pity continues here. And again, we can identify with it. I think if we're honest, we can say, my goodness gracious, she has had a bitter hand turned on her, right? It's been a bitter providence. Don't call me Naomi. That is, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has dealt Very bitterly with me. And then listen to what she says. And let's just remember who is standing by her at this time, okay? I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. I went out full. I had it all, things were going great. And the Lord took it all away from me. And here I am empty. And if you're listening, if you're tracking, you're thinking, yeah, it's true. Is it true? Do you know who's standing right there in earshot? Ruth. What do you mean empty? You have this gift from God who clings to you, not as a burden, but as a pillar of support for you. I will be there for you, Naomi. I don't care. Where you die, I'm going to go right in the grave with you. I am here with you and for you, and I will be, and may God judge me severely if I do not. It's not empty. She has Ruth, but she doesn't even have eyes to see. Because when Ruth shared that thing with her, we even see it, she kind of just, let's go. What a gift God had given her. But she's Mara. She's bitter. And bitterness... When we we find ourselves under hard and difficult providences and bitterness becomes the root that starts to grow up in us, it blinds us. It blinds us even to the very hand of God's grace to us. I know it's been hard, but you are not empty. You're back in the house of bread with your God and with Ruth at your side. And so she returns home supposedly empty and bitter but if she's empty then she is empty only to be filled and we sense the the turn and i mentioned this at the end of last week's text uh, last week's sermon that you get the beautiful and think of the, the beautiful symmetry of the text the text begins with famine and this text ends and it was the beginning of barley harvest it just, it's just such a be- it's so well beautifully written this book but just this first chapter just has has these bookends to it it's famine it's the beginning of barley harvest we're beginning the 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 tone is starting to turn and good things are starting to happen she's home she has ruth it's the beginning of the harvest who knows what the hand of the lord is about right now well let me wrap up by letting us through this text remind ourselves and apply by thinking about this text in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and of our own salvation. Naomi says, I went away full, I've come back empty. And we've said, Naomi, it's not true. But let us, and I think this text draws ultimately, our, must draw our attention to Jesus Christ, who, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, says... He was rich, he was full, and he became empty. Paul says in Philippians 2, though he was equal with God, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, gave up everything. Yes, he who was rich for our sakes became poor, so that we through him might become rich. Jesus becomes Naomi. Jesus becomes the true Naomi. Jesus walks the footsteps of Naomi, except not in Naomi's self-pitying. I had everything and now I've lost. I have nothing. Jesus truly had everything. And Jesus truly had to bear up under the bitter judgment of God, having deserved none of it. Naomi and Elimelech made a stupid decision. Jesus made no stupid decision. Yet nonetheless, Jesus walks in the footsteps of their stupid decisions. Jesus comes down and he walks in our place. He goes into the land of Moab to seek us out. And it costs him everything. He was full. But he comes up empty. Because he empties himself to fill pathetic Naomi. He comes that he might empty himself. That he might fill you. And fill me. We see in Naomi's cry here, the very cry of the Lord Jesus Christ, except he does it not because it was deser- he deserved it, He does it for our sakes. He does it to save Naomi, and to give her hope and to give you hope and to give me hope. And of course, in this text, we see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in Ruth herself, who we know is the lineage going to be in God's amazing providential wisdom. Forget about coming back empty. You've come back with Ruth, and Ruth is going to be the one who gives birth to Obed, who's going to give birth, you know, through his wife, to Jesse, then to David, and then to Jesus. Naomi, you have no idea what you have standing next to you. You have no idea what you've been blessed with. And I know, I know it's come through pain, and you can't see it with clear eyes. But this is where it teaches us in the midst of our sorrow. To guard ourselves against bitterness and to trust that behind a frowning providence there hides a smiling face, as the hymn writer says. It's in Ruth that we see, again, the love and grace of Jesus. Is this not, I mean, do you not hear in the amazing, the the words of Ruth are divine. It's like, it's like who talks like this to another human being? And the answer is Jesus. (laughs) Jesus It's as if Jesus takes up Ruth's words into himself. I mean, this is what he says to us. I'm coming for you. I am not leaving you. Where you go, I will go. Even into the grave itself, I will go there. I will go there to be with you and to redeem you. Now, of course, we're going to see Jesus so clearly in Boaz, who does step up and take the burden of redeeming Ruth. We know that. But here, just in this text, the glory of Jesus Christ is manifested in the Hesed of Ruth in her love for Naomi, an echo of Jesus who is to come and to give himself for us. When the prodigal son ran away, he too came back empty. <laughs> he came back empty, just like Naomi. There wasn't a lot of self-pitying there. He knew that the prodigal son is different because the prodigal son came back and realized he did come to his senses. He was not overwhelmed with bitterness. He knew it was on him. And when he returned home, he knew that I just got to get back to the father. <laughs> and yet it's in the story of the prodigal son that we can pull together this story and our Galatians story. Again, for those listening, our word of exhortation today was Galatians three. 1-14, through 14, where Paul reprimands the Galatians for essentially running to Moab, spiritually. You foolish, stupid Galatians. Why would you turn to works of the law and not rely on the faith? How did this whole thing begin? Did you get what you have by works of the law or by faith? You know the whole argument he makes there. But don't we see the two problems, Ruth, Naomi, and the Galatians in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is Naomi, right? Stupid Naomi and Elimelech who runs and squanders themselves in a foreign city and who comes back empty but finds the father. But the elder brother in that story is the Galatians. The elder brother is doing the same stupid thing. right? Rather than leaning on and, and embracing the love of the father, the elder son does what the Galatians do. How I have worked for you all these many years. As if somehow... The the fullness of the father's house is something he is owed because he has been a good son. It's what the Galatians are being tempted to do, relying on themselves and their own obedience. I've worked hard for this. Why am I not being honored? And you're thinking like a Moabite when you do that. Son, you are thinking like a Moabite. You are not thinking like a son. You are not thinking like a child of my house to whom everything is given freely by grace. Son, do you think your hands are empty because you haven't had the fattened calf slaughter for you? Everything I have is yours. You are full. So we must take from this a warning, a perspective warning. Be careful when we whine about the emptiness of our hands. Be careful when we run to Moab to solve our problems. Be careful when we turn toward self-reliance to solve our problems. Let us look to the one. The father who pursued us in the foreign city in Moab came and hunted us down, would not leave us, would go where we go because he loved us by sending his only son for us that he might redeem us. And maybe sometimes we do need our hands emptied of things so that he can fill them with the best things, even when we don't understand it. I'm, and I'm not trying to say that somehow Ruth makes up for the loss of the boys and for the loss of her husband. That's a, separa- that's a grief that just can't be replaced. When Job got new sons, it doesn't replace the old sons. But what Job really needed, what Naomi really needs, what the younger son and the elder son really need is not more sons and replacement and money back in the bank account. What they really need is the father. That's what you need. And that's what God will empty us from or for so that he can fill us with his love. And with that has said, with that relationship, and the tone is starting to turn for Naomi, and we'll have to see how it goes from here, but the Lord has brought her home to the house of bread. May he do the same for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us even when we wander off to Moab, when we squander your good gifts in a foreign city with prostitutes and partying and food. The fact that you would receive us back and slaughter the fattened calf for us, reminding us that we are not empty, but that in you we are full. Forgive us for being the elder brother, of thinking that somehow we deserve something from your hand because we've tried our best and we've been better than other people. Fathers, just as much Moabite thinking as the younger brother, just as much Moabite thinking as Naomi and Elimelech, forgive us. Lord, we thank you for your hesed. We thank you for your covenant love for us. We thank you that you pursued us, that you went where we went. You walked our bitter steps, that through the suffering of your son, you might bestow eternal glory on us. How can we even conceive of your grace to us and your your goodness to us? So, Father, be with us. Guard us from Mara. Guard us from bitterness, we pray. Give us eyes to see the sweetness of your provision for us, that we might live obediently and powerfully for the glory of your name today and through all the days of our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.